0: We are going to be jumping into the third chapter of the book of Romans uh, this morning. Before we do that, I just want to share something with you. I was reading a book this week, and, uh, and you've heard me say this a number of times, that when I preach, that the the main person I'm preaching to is myself. You've heard me say that many, many times. And uh, this first time I've really seen this down in writing. This was an author talking about his writing. I haven't been very good at writing the gospel to myself. It is impossible for me to teach, preach, and write of truths that I don't desperately need myself. If I ever stop being the first audience of my writing, teaching, and preaching, I should stop. Please remember me and pray for me. Pray that God would help me to live with courage and hope the things I write, preach, and teach. I just want to say to you this morning that when I preach, the main person I'm preaching to is myself. I also want to apologize to you this morning if you have ever felt one time that that you came here and I was preaching at you. And I know that that is a very, very common practice. I know that I've sat in churches and I've I've heard preaching and I felt this overbearing sense that this person is preaching down at me, preaching down to me. My friends, that is not biblical preaching. Real biblical preaching only comes from someone who has been broken by their own sin who desperately needs to hear the gospel just as much as you do, and needs to hear that gospel over and over and over again. So again, if if you've ever felt like I've ever preached at you, please accept my apology, because that is not at all what my intention is ever to be. We are beginning chapter 3. I had mentioned to you a few weeks ago that one of the things that's really helped me, I preached through Romans years ago, and I really believe that I have a better understanding of Romans now than I did when I did it before, and that's one of the reasons I'm going back through it. But one of the things that, that I began to see and I began to understand is this. is There's a framework to this book that makes it somewhat unique for reading for the other epistles of Paul. And that is the framework is built around questions. Paul teaches some very difficult things in this book. And as he's doing that, he knows that people are going to have questions about the things that he writes. He anticipates those questions, and he answers those questions to the best of his ability, knowing that some of these questions you really don't have all the answers for, not complete, absolute answers. We need to understand something, that Paul is only doing for us what he's done himself That these are questions that have come to Paul's attention as he's been been studying through these things of God. And and these are the answers that God has revealed to him in regard to those questions. Paul has questioned all these different things just like we do. Chapter 3 begins this pattern that we see over and over again. I don't know how many questions he brings to our attention from here to the end of the book. Just over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you took the questions out of the rest of the book of Romans, there'd almost be nothing left of it. Paul's a teacher. He's a very great teacher and his intention is this, is that you and I get as much from this as we possibly can. All like every one of us, is like that pastor that I, I read about this morning. He was a believer who struggled. Struggled with all kinds of questions. About God. Questions about the gospel. Questions about himself. And God has blessed you and I. By giving us this book. Because it is a book that is full of Christ Jesus. And it is a book that uh, the, the people like John Calvin and Martin Luther. It's where they found a lot of the answers to the questions that they had. There's a sense in which the book of Romans may be the the thing that's most responsible for the the Protestant Reformation that took place back in the 15 and 1600s. One of the biggest reasons why you and I are in a Protestant church today may very well be the book of Romans in its teaching. He's already covered a lot of history up, up to this point. In the more recent uh, weeks, we have studied how he's, he begins to make a distinction between those who were the Jews and the Gentiles. As we're coming to the end of chapter 2, we realize this that remember the sign, the covenant sign in the Old Testament was circumcision. The New Testament sign is the sign of baptism, water baptism. There's a sense in which Paul declares at the end of chapter 2 that that if you are a believer, if you've been baptized with the water, there's a sense in which you are a Jew. As we were looking at last week, one of the things that we understand is is the big advantage, the big thing that, that, that God entrusted the Jewish people with, first of all Israel, and later on more specifically down to the Jewish people was they were the keepers of his word. They were given that special revelation that we call the Old Testament that was not available to everybody else. That was God's greatest gift to them. And remember, back in chapter 1, Paul makes a distinction between, in essence, of what's called natural revelation. Natural revelation is is how God makes himself known to all people equally through creation around us. So much so that there's no one, there's enough evidence in in, in nature around us that we we can, if, if we're faithful to what is demonstrated over and over again, is we come to the conclusion there must be a God who did all of this. Who made all of this? Therefore, he renders that, renders every person without an excuse. No one is going to be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, I did not know there was a God. Pagans who have never heard the word of God, they will be judged based upon their denial of of God, based upon natural revelation. In other words, people will be be judged based upon what they have available to them. And if it's just natural revelation, then I would imagine the judgment is going to be to some degree lesser, lighter See, there are advantages of having what we call special revelation, which today is the Word of God, the Bible. This is special revelation. If you want to know what it is, this is what it is. And this is what is necessary for you to come to a saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. God entrusted the Old Testament to the Jewish people. Now, let me tell you, Christ is there. He's all over the place in the Old Testament. One of the most amazing things is this, is the people of God, that God had given, had granted, this special gift, this special privilege of having a special revelation, when the Christ, who's spoken about so clearly in the Old Testament, actually came, most of them denied him. Only some came to saving faith. That we know this today that God has even given us a greater gift. And that is he's added to the Old Testament, given us the New Testament. We have God's complete special revelation in our hands. The gospel clearly, anybody can read it and see the gospel clearly in the New Testament. He writes there in chapter 3, then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's the primary thing. Paul's saying that's the primary reason that they were set apart, what made them different from other people. That God had given them the Bible, the Old Testament, to the prophets. The Bible has been under severe attack probably more more in the last two or three hundred years than ever in all of history. As man's seeming intelligence has increased and his understanding of things has increased, the Bible has come under more scrutiny than it probably ever did in the the first 2,000 years. There are a lot of people today that deny its authenticity. It, however, is still the most Purchased book in the world every year. There are more Bibles purchased in the world every year than any other book by a long shot. Many, many people have Bibles in their house, sitting all over the place. I probably have ten Bibles. I'm not sure how many exactly I have. But one of the things you'd find with all of my Bibles is they look like this. And that's not so I could stand here on Sunday morning and open it up and, you know, I've just gone through here and marked stuff up while I'm doing something else. I've read this over and over again. I've read every Bible I have over and over again. God has entrusted us with this very great gift. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm just trying to encourage you guys in this. And you've heard me... F- Harp on this for week after week after week. You must be in the Word of God. You've got to study the Bible. You will not grow if you don't. As a matter of fact, you will stagnate if you don't. As a matter of fact, if you stagnate, you won't just stay there. You'll start digressing. This is the food that God has given to us for our spirit. We wouldn't think for a minute with going for very long without eating food for our body, would we? We cannot starve our spirit of the word of God, or it will die. God has entrusted this to us. It is one of his greatest gifts. Certainly, Jesus is the greatest gift, but probably God himself is the greatest gift. But secondary to that, this is it. We have to take advantage of it. And we cannot keep it to ourselves. We have to spread it. Let me tell you something. Spreading it sometimes can be hazardous to your health. Two sunny mornings ago in Cameroon, a guy named Abraham Fung died. There were a group of natives that broke into his home and hacked him to death with machetes. And they severed his wife's arm completely off. For what reason? Because he was a Bible translator. But let me tell you, this fight is not one that's easily won and it's not one that's not going to cost great sacrifice on the part of some people at times. He gave his life. He was do you understand what was going on? He was giving his life to translate the word of God into their language so that it would be available to all those people. That was his crime. And he died for it. I doubt very seriously if anyone in this room is going to give their life in the same manner. But it doesn't mean that our calling is any less than his. God has called us, he's gifted us, just like he did the Jewish people with the Old Testament in in, in the old days. But now the complete Bible, the scriptures, we have it, it's here, it's for us, but at the same time it's not for us to keep to ourselves. He says here in verse 2, what was the great advantage? What was the great advantage that was given to the Jewish people? Great in every respect, first of all, what? That they were entrusted with the oracles of God. 3, what then, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. Will it? There's your question. You already asked one question. What is the advantage of the Jew? And he gives the answer. The, 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 it's, it's not so much the benefit of circumcision. It's the benefit of having the oracles of God. Now, yes, the second question here, a series of questions. What then, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words, and mightest prevail when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why Am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. You probably know some people who believe that their opinion matters more than anything else. What they think basically answers the question. Uh, people today seem to be very, very opinionated when it comes to just about everything you can possibly imagine. People have their opinions about the Bible. They have their opinions about Scripture. My opinion of the Bible 30 years ago, 35, 30, 40 years ago, was that it was a book of fables. That's what I thought of the Bible. Well, into my 30s. The stories of old that were told that really didn't have any truth or substance to them, that people just laid hold of. They had to believe, you have to believe in something, and, and weak people, that's what they believed in. They believed in that silly old Bible stuff. Some people actually believe that their opinion matters more than anything else even to the point that their opinion matters even more than what god says if there is a god let me just say this if this truly is the word of god then no one's opinion about any of it has ever made one whit of a difference Your opinion about it does not make anything change. Like I said before, the Bible has been under attack very fervently for the last 200 years, even more so than any other time in history. There are people out there with willful willful intent, their purpose in life, they're making their living by doing everything they can do to disprove the authenticity and the, the reality and the truth of God's word given to us in the scriptures. If that, and that's not enough, liberalism itself has laid hold of the throat of some of church people. Now you have church people who are deciding that, well, this is in the Bible, this is, was originally in the Bible, this is something that was someone added along the way, and this, that, and the other, and it's based mostly upon their opinion as to whether it ought to be there or not. So you're left with liberal Christianity that basically allows you to believe whatever you want to believe about things. And what are you going to throw out, first of all? It's the most difficult stains, the most difficult things that you find in Scripture, the things that grate on the human sinful nature. My God would never say anything like that. My God would never do anything like that. Either God's truth is God's truth, or it's not. We can't go through the scriptures and pick out the things that we like that, that, that seem to to appeal to our sinful nature, and etc. 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 and throw out the things that we think my God would not say. Either He said all of it, or He didn't say any of it. And let me tell you, if you haven't been, if you haven't studied through the Bible, haven't read through the Bible and come across some things that sometimes just, just make your skin crawl, you're not really putting your heart, mind, and soul and your in ever effort into it. I mean, when God tells Israel to go in and kill every man, woman, and child in the land of Canaan, how does that make you feel? It makes you want to explain it away. Because our understanding or our thinking is God would never, never do that. But the fact of the matter is historically, he did it. He did that. He told them to do that. Some hard things in, in, as you come across in the words of Jesus. We've talked about, about in the Sermon on the Mount a number of times already how, how he, he shows them that the, 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 just this, the, you know, the outward keeping of the literal Ten Commandments is not the whole heart and soul of the matter. That if you can say I've never murdered anyone, literally murdered anyone, it doesn't mean you haven't violated that commandment, that thou shalt not kill The thing that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he brings the reality of the Word of God and the law of God into the human spirit, into the human place. And he shoots the pride of people down like a dive bomber. It's so easy to think, and you thought this, I've thought this, I could never do something like that. Look what someone so did, that's not even in a possibility for me. I could not do something like that. Let me tell you, if you ever have those thoughts, you're in a really bad place. Because sometimes when people are in that place, God lets loose the reins that he has on their sin and lets them see it's just how bad they really are. And how bad they can really be. See, one of the problems with the Jewish people is they were downright prideful. Because of their special position. It evoked pride in them. They felt like they'd been set apart, especially by God, because of their specialness. That they were different than other people. But in every single one of them, there was a heart of a sinner beating just like there is in us. And it was nothing but their pride that prevented them from receiving the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he came into the world. The point I'm trying to make here, not doing a very good job of it, is this. is People's opinions don't matter. When it comes to the Bible, people think it can be in unbelief all they want to, and it will not nullify the faithfulness of God that's revealed to us in Scripture. Wanting something to be so doesn't make it so. God's word is either God's word or it's not. And if it is, people respond to it one way or another, but their response has got nothing to do with establishing the truth and reality of it. Whether someone accepts or 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 rejects Jesus Christ has got nothing to do with whether Jesus is a reality or not. Whether people want to accept what the Bible says about anything and everything is not, does not establish whether it is true or not true. It's truth, period, because it's God's truth. And that is the greatest gift that he's given to you and I. We don't have to go through life thinking, well, what about this and what about that? He tells us. All of the essential things that you and I need to live and do well at living are right here in this book. Every one of them. May it never be. We're going to see that. That's, That's Paul's common response to a lot of these questions he brings up. May it never be is what you find here in the uh, New American Standard Bible. You see different uh, translations or depictions of it. John Murray, who's one of the premier commentators on the book of Romans, says basically what, in essence, what Paul says in this, in, in this phrase you see over and over again, may it never be, is God forbid. God forbid that people would come to those kinds of conclusions based upon what God has revealed. God forbid it. May it never be. It's not even a possibility. How many people want to be true at the expense of God being true? God's word is truth. It's ultimate truth. It's absolute truth. You can't poke holes in it. You can't take away from it. You can't add to it. It is his. And he's given it to us. And he's entrusted us with it. May every man be shown a liar that we would ever find one single thing wrong in here. People have all kinds of lies. The evil one is called a liar. And he whispers in our ear. God would not say that. God would not do that. Judge for yourself. I want you to know something. Paul, in in regard to some of these questions, some of them he answers pretty well. Some of them he really doesn't answer because there's not an answer that we can humanly give. We all have to get to this place where we understand that human conception goes to a point, but then it stops. There has to come a place in our life where we get to that point of trust. Of trusting in the truth of God. Not having all of our answers. Not knowing everything about everything. our righteousness demonstrates our unrighteousness demonstrates rather the righteousness of God what shall we say the God who afflicts wrath is not unrighteous is he Paul says here I'm speaking in human terms that's exactly what I'm talking about he's saying it in a, in a way that you and I can maybe grapple with it and understand it but the loftiness of God is way over our head." J.I. Packer, one of the most noted theologians, reformed theologians in, in the last century, and even into this century, said this. Basically, every subject of theology must ultimately end in mystery. In other words, we can grapple with this stuff, we can try to understand this stuff as much as we can, but eventually we're going to get to the point where it's just beyond our ability to. And what he says there is this, this is what Packer says, he says, and we must acquiesce in having it so. You know, you know be, don't you think it'd be kind of ridiculous for you and I to think for one minute that we have the mind of God That we see everything the same way that God sees it. That we hear everything the same way that God hears it. That we know everything that God knows. How ridiculous would that be? Like we said before, it comes down to a matter of trust. Are we going to trust in God? Are we going to trust in what he's revealed to us? Are we going to let our sinful nature do all of our decision making for us? again, what does Paul say about this question? He says, may it never be. God forbid. God will judge the world. Verse 6. He's going to judge all people based upon the information they've had available to them. You see, my friends, having this book at our disposal like we do doesn't put us in a position of less accountability. It puts us in a position of most accountability. In other words, there's a sense in which you and I appreciate a gift from God that is greater than anyone that anyone else has ever had. Maybe with one exception. It would have been really, 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 really nice to be there in the audience on the day that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So we saw him and heard him and all of that. You can see there would be a big advantage in that. But in modern day, there is no one that is more privileged than those who have this available to them, and that means you and I, or you and me, right? so easy to do that, isn't it? What a gift. But you know what? It's useless if you don't use it just a dust collector that sits on a coffee table. And there are a lot of Bibles that do exactly that. Even though it's the most purchased book every year, I have to wonder if it might not be the least read book. How many Bibles have you got in your house that just have dust all over them? Because they haven't been opened in so long. God will judge the world based upon what he has given to the world. Having the Bible. Can you imagine what God's wrath would be toward you and I if it were not for the fact that Jesus has already paid the penalty of that wrath for us? What I would say to you is this: is we're not living, breathing the Bible, God's word, like people never have in all of history. God's judgment of us on the day of judgment would be the most severe of all, because we have been the most privileged people in all of history. So there's a sense in which Christians who don't live and breathe this they've done the greatest injustice to God now doesn't that hit home really but I'm telling you guys, it's it what for Jesus? If Jesus hadn't paid the full penalty of God's wrath upon us for our sins, then on the day of judgment, you and I may be at the very top of the list of being the most accountable because we had the most to work with. But hallelujah for Jesus Christ. Because he saves us from the wrath of God to come. Not because we're lesser sinners. But because he's a great God. And he loves us. He loves us like his children. We are his children. He loves us. He loves us with a love we can't even begin to imagine. There's no greater love in all of the universe other than maybe the love that the Trinity has for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for one another. That's what this table has to do with is God's love for the unlovable. Unconditional love for the unlovable. It should be the greatest mystery to every one of us. Why me? Because we know ourselves like other people don't. We know what goes through our head. Other people don't always. Lordy seems to read my mind most of the time, but she doesn't always know what I think. God knows you like nobody else knows you. God knows you like you don't know yourself. loves you enough to send his own son into the world to live a hard life to to, to die a horrible death to, to hang on that cross and for the wrath of God the Father to be poured out upon him in full for you and for me he's a loving God because he loves you that much praise team is going to come and lead us in a hymn of preparation